This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, master brewers, beverage entrepreneurs, and custodians of the beer engines, and welcome to another Hot Four podcast. Um, my missus is doing a meditation app, and it sort of goes, um, just relax and visualize in your mind the serenity of your inner self. Um, so I thought I'd have a go myself, but with you lot, um, because my wife thinks it's hilarious that people listen to me on a podcast every single week. So are you ready? Okay. You to cast your mind back to some of your earliest beer experiences. Just allow the hoppy golden nectar to come to the forefront of your mind and refresh the parts of the beers don't reach. Okay, that was a bit weird, wasn't it? Um, but can you remember your earliest beer experiences? I remember my first exposure to brewing. My dad made five gallons of a lager from a Boots homebrewing kit in our garage, which, needless to say, exploded everywhere from the pressure barrel. And my first taste of beer was a cheeky can of Ward's Best Bitter on the football pitch that Greg Thacker snurtled out of his dad's stash. It was chuffing awful, but I still went back. And I say this because even within the time I've been working in the beer industry, things have changed massively. Uh, I remember in 2003 going to a real ale festival in some really dodgy part of Sheffield with my mate Russ and being told that I had to buy tokens and I couldn't spend actual money. It was like I was being given Mickey Mouse money. Uh, needless to say, I bought a load and was as pissed as a fart on a brown beer that at the time seemed like a divine revelation. Uh, sometime around 2007, I uncovered a new local beer called Jaipur down the local boozer with this orange pump clip and discovered you couldn't drink several pints of it in succession. Uh, and yet I still try uh, when I go down to the Hallamshire house. And when I started brewing in my kitchen on my gas stove, I tried this new beer called Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which uncovered dizzy new heights of flavour. It gave me something to aspire to. I think in contrast to the passion fruit, lassie IPAs, summer spritz sours and imperial waffle booby cheesecake chocolate chip cherry stouts served with a lime jus, it's safe to say that things have somewhat moved on in the innovation department over a short period of time. But we're only talking about a span of 15 years. And like 15 years ago, the world was still making sense of 9-11, Oasis was still together, uh, the Labour Party was still in power, and shows like Scrubs made for good television. We've, we've come a long way, and so have Real Ale Limited. Uh, founded in southwest London in 2005, Real Ale have championed locally brewed high-quality beers ever since, uh, to the point where they now have three shops, have a stake in a brewery, and work with a national retailer to source and select all the beers that hit the shelves across the nation. So I caught up with Nick and Tim uh, recently on a rainy trip to Notting Hill to talk about everything from setting up a bottle shop, beer trends and packaging formats to supermarkets, cold storage and the future of beer. 
If you like the Hot 4 podcast, may I encourage you to subscribe via iTunes, Spotify and other providers. Follow us on social media at Hot 4 Beers. Or if you're looking for brewery services, branding and design or business development for you and your venture, visit hotforward.beer and see how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Now, on to today's episode with Nick and Tim from Real Ale in Notting Hill, London. Today on the podcast, I'm here with Nick, who's the founder, and Tim, who's the retail manager of Real Ale Limited in your lovely Notting Hill shop and tap room. Hello. Welcome. Hello. How are you guys? Yeah, really good. A little Very rainy well, today, but yeah, all, all in all, good. Really coming down now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. So um, why don't you both start by telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and about Real Ale Limited. Sure. Well, um, I um, founded the business back in 2005. We started with our first shop in um, East Twickenham, which we call our Twickenham shop. Um, at the time... Um, Bottle condition was the new thing in the market. Real ale was the key word, hence the name of the business. Um, if, it was, if we were back then, <laughs> I said craft beer or something, I might have got a jump on this slightly modern wave. How things have changed. Yeah, they have indeed. <laughs> um, but we started the shop off with, um, God, crikey, at that time it might have been eight or nine brewers only. Right. With all of the beers they did, all in a bottle condition format. In, in London? In yeah. London, uh, no, all around the UK. Oh, right, So basically wow. the idea was, I drove all around the UK in my van, picking up beers from different breweries and stocked our shop and it was all bottle conditioned beer so the idea was that um, we live in a nice area with lots of chimney pots Um, you know kind of rugby is synonymous with Twickenham as well so there's synonymous with you know people like a pint of ale Mm. and and to drink so we had um, brewers from all around the UK with all bottle conditioned beers so secondary fermentations people obviously know Um, and from there it's basically it's grown um, and grown and grown we um, early on in opening the shop and we set it up in a kind of regional format so you'd have a map of where a brewery was to educate people yep. we were trying to get really small breweries in and that's basically the ethos of the business still today is to help support small breweries mm. and kind of get them into a retail space where they can show their wares um, and show their great great products and um, early on in that in having the shop in Twickenham we got approached by Marks and Spencers to help them launch a range of bottle conditioned beers with them nationally we started with four beers and we now do god plus 200 and something beers with them nationally um, and we deal with both brands and own label with them and we still the philosophy still is to find these really small really cool um, brewers and medium sized breweries who we can help get into a national environment mm. now, as well as our own retail environment. Um, so it's it's a kind of nice um, passage through, and we have grown in Marks and Spencers to be the largest beer supplier, um, and we've also had brewers who've been along the way with us who have grown hugely mm. um, into national outlets and now supply other supermarkets as well, and you know, are growing. Their whole business is growing, so it's it's um, a nice kind of uh, path we've been on in the last 14, 15 years. Amazing, massive, right? And now we have additional two shops, one in Maida Vale and the shop here in Notting Hill mm. is the latest one to open. Give us some examples of some breweries that you first stopped then. First, called oh, crikey, first stocked, um, we had um, Woodford's Brewery from Norfolk. Um, we had uh, Oakham yep. Ales, so they had a bottle, condi- they actually had just produced a bottle conditioned um, a couple of bottle conditioned beers, um, Scarlet McCall, I think, and Citra hasn't hadn't arrived yet. Is this when they were based in the White Hart? Is that? I think, uh, I think they had just. I can't honestly remember. I think they had just moved. We also dealt with breweries like. Um, I had a lot of brew. Um, I 
previously to opening my shop, I helped my best friend's dad open a shop on his farm. Right. A beer shop on his farm. And the whole point there was that he grew award-winning barley um, and uh, supplied local breweries. So I had a couple from East Anglia that I kind of knew of, a little one called Fox, which is up in North Norfolk. And then we just had a bunch of other breweries. Literally, literally, I took a map and just tried to find breweries <laughs> that were cool and interesting, had really good beers from all around the country. Mm. So St. Dostal was another one we had in with uh, Admiral's Ale that was a bottle-conditioned beer at that time. Um, yeah, and just kind of grew from there. Wow. So, I mean, you guys have been on the beer scene for, you know, quite a long time now. It, particularly in beer terms, like 14 years is an age, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you think about it, in 2005, George W. Bush was still in power. Um, we had a Labour government, and it was still considered cool by some people to like Coldplay. Yes. Um, I mean, so as we approach 2020, how, how have you seen the beer industry change over that time? Um, from my perspective, I've let Tim kind of go after that. I, when we opened the first shop, when I opened the first shop, there were there was one other beer shop in London, mm. um, which then closed about three months after I opened, um, and I kind of was like in the wind, kind of thinking, "Crikey, this is going to be." interesting it was hard very hard yards at the beginning but we just kind of caught the beginning of the wave which we've been really lucky in um, and as we've managed to educate um, customers we have really grown and we've really seen that as we open a new shop in a different area we kind of basically go back to the fundamentals of educating people mm. this the the the, the, the um, trajectory that people have been on has been um, is a people are a lot more educated than they were when they were in 2005 it was really basic stuff now you get people who understand beer a lot more you know we opened our latest shop in Notting Hill just last year and um, people already know what different styles are they kind of know different breweries so there's a lot more education out there which is really great um, where do I see it going in the next couple of years I would see us opening a couple more shops hopefully um, expanding our business further and um, beer is definitely here to stay mm. um, I feel there's definitely going to be in the brewing side of things there's going to be some contract you know a lot of um, people who are having hard times at the moment I think there's a lot of breweries out there yeah um, and I think there will be a shrinking of the number of breweries um, and the really number one the really good ones should survive and the guys who've got their heads screwed on and are not only looking although this might be sacrilegious to say but not only looking at the most expensive hops they can put in stuff but actually running it from their P&L and yeah. making sure the, the pounds and pennies really add up so that they're, they're sustainable for the future and for the long run um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities out there and I don't think the overall volume of the beer market is going to I know it kind of goes ups and downs and Carl Scale has some has been shrinking quite a bit recently but mm. everything goes in cycles so yeah. there will be more more there'll be the same amount of volume out there there just might be a few more less breweries yeah. which is unfortunate but it's just that is the cycle of how things go and we just want to really be there to try and support as many breweries as we can through our retail outlets and then through our business in supplying uh, Marks and Spencers um, mainly but then other supermarkets as well um, to help people get in and offer a professional kind of agent um, situation for yep. them so they don't have to manage their off trade and we can help do that for them. Totally. Yeah. What do you think Tim? So. I joined the business in 2014, so obviously a lot later than, than Nick. Um, but even in that time, I've seen an enormous change. Like it's, it's it, the, the beer kind of landscape is unrecognisable to what it was mm. when I started yeah, working. It's crazy, just isn't it? Five years ago. Um, I mean, now you can get 
really decent beers in the supermarkets. Um, and, and you can kind of see breweries growing and growing all the time. It's kind of like a relentless race to, to the top, to kind of ubiquity. Um, but I still think in terms of kind of bottle shops, I see, I still see a, a place for them, definitely. Um, and I just like to think things are, are kind of getting more niche at one end and more mainstream at the other. Mm, yeah. um, as certain breweries I look at sell out in inverted commas, yeah. go into the supermarket and then other new blood comes on the scene. Um, and, and I like to think as a business, we're quite good at supporting the, the new kids kind of coming through. I know um, Nick and the MS team do, do different things for getting beers you know, in, in the supermarkets. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I think like, like Nick kind of touched on it a minute ago, it's, things kind of do go in circles. So like obviously we're called Real Ale. We, you know, we stock virtually all craft beers in our shops and natural wines. Um, it hasn't always been the case, but certainly in the last three years it has. Yeah. Um, we've kind of ridden the wave, um, not because we think it's cool or trendy, just because this is what we like drinking. Mm. Our shops are all like a, a reflection of the managers I, I, and I, myself. Yeah, and I'd also say um, that we're trying to sell an experience here. Yeah. yeah. And that's part of the whole, it's like you come in and wine has become a very big thing for us. Um, yeah. So are spirits, you know, but it's all just basically we're kind of like a liquid delicatessen. It's really, <laughs> really good products. We have and actually that, got that in part of our branding. Yeah, part yeah, of our yeah. branding. And that feels you should trade for that, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, I'm in the process trying to. And no, but I mean, I, I was even going to go back to, um, you know, we talked about where the business started, it's all bottle conditioned beers. Mm. Mm. We were the first um, people to stock punk IPA in the can, pretty much in London. Wow, okay. And I actually found an old picture a couple of days ago on my phone of me leaning a punk IPA can on its side and just kind of going, my God, we've got an actual can mm. in the shop. Is this going to devalue what we've got? Kind of, you know, <laughs> a little bit, because we're just like, but it tastes absolutely amazing. And even yeah. then, I'd, su I'd suggest that the first canning of punk IPA was not great mm. because it was just pushing the boundaries on getting a lot of hops into a can, which canners were not doing at the time yep. um, and now you know crikey it's we are definitely over I'd say 60 or 70 percent can yeah. product I mean even when I started 2014 it was like you know we had maybe a couple maybe three or four different shells of cans and even that was like whoa we got a lot of cans here whereas now it's like you know five fridges almost exclusively mm. of cans um, yeah, so yeah it's just kind of and it's kind of like actually trying to keep the balance between cans mm. and some bottle product which is fabulous as well but it's just kind of mm. like it's the it, the industry has gone you know majorly into cans which has obviously come from the US and come from you know Scar and people like that um, Dale's Pale Ale mm. and, you know those guys were kind of putting into craft cans early really early on um, and the wave of that has just followed through and um, you know I have a part ownership of a brewery as well and I know that the product going into a can, we we can control better than we can really a, a bottle, um, just simply because obviously the do you know your dissolves option and stuff um, is relatively similar, but the light struck issues and things like that just become null and void, and mm. it makes life really your product quality really goes up. Yeah, light to transport, yeah, and then light to transport so it's more environmentally friendly, which is fabulous, and also you can chill a can a lot quicker than you can chill yeah. a bottle, and just. Yeah ease of use for a consumer is great as well. And I think now the um, signal we had at the beginning when we first got Punk IPA in and people were kind of like, oh, that's really cool, but 
does that sit along my McEwen's extra or something? Like, should I be at the same kind of value <laughs> pricing point? It's like, no, no, God, though. Um, mm. You know, we um, we now people understand that it's just it's not about the vessel the, the beer's coming in; it's about the beer, mm, which yeah. is really great. So I think that's where we've kind of moved on from when we opened the shop. It was kind of camera is really big, um, and I suggest they might have lost their way a little bit, unfortunately. And I hope they it kind of surges back and they've started to take keg into the great british beer festival yeah. the first time this year which is kind of like about 15 years too <laughs> late and you know but it's all coming and this is why i talk about the cycle you know car mm -hmm. scales on the downer at the moment well i believe it will come it's i think it's potentially starting to come back no, i think car scale definitely is coming back yep. you know in a, in a small way at the moment but i think it will will gain traction yeah. it's already you know specific quite trendy cast cast beer yeah. festival yeah, infinity doing one um, See, I find that really yeah. interesting because I, I come from Sheffield, which there was a report a few years ago. It was commissioned by the University of Sheffield, so how quote unquote independent it was is, you know, up to, up to anyone's guess really. Yeah. Uh, but Pete Brown collated the report, and it said that Sheffield was the cask beer capital of the yep. UK. Yep. And there's always been amazing cask beer in Sheffield. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's just so it's never stopped. Exactly. Really, so I, you know, as far as I was concerned, growing up, I remember the first time I, the first real ale I had was uh, Barnsley Bitter and then I had Ab Abbeydale Moonshine and those two beers I was like wow they make beer in Barnsley who, who the hell makes beer in Barnsley yeah. you know all places but it was like fantastic whereas you know I, I hear the kind of things you guys have just said and think really you know because I've grown up in that environment I know, suppose we're London centric aren't we and, and scene, it's yeah. a different so down here you go in to find beers on bars and it's a lot, lot more keg now you know yeah. in a lot of places if you go into central London they have taking they're taking out um, you know cask lines and putting in more keg lines mm. and it's just but we're starting to see at the very sharp end of the industry you're starting to mm. see the reversal of that mm. so that to come back into the mainstream for a London based business as we are um, for kind of cask on trade we you know that's behind the curve at the moment but then you go to different places. And hotspots, you know, for for yeah. cask is still really strong. Mm. Mm. It's 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 more about the, the quality of of cask for me um, in London. I mean, like for example, where I live, there's about four or five pubs within easy walking distance of me, and they all sell cask, but none of it's ever in in good condition. Yeah, and there's only a few. I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but. There's a few pubs in London that have consistently great casks, but there's, there's not many at all. And they usually have someone who's really well trained yeah. in the cellar, and they have actually put yeah. money into the cellar mm. to make sure it's at the right temperature, no matter what you, the weather. You've got to look after it. Yeah. It's an investment. Yeah. It's a labour of love. Um, and only a few places are willing to do it. You know, Samson Arms, you know, the Heart, places like that. Um, and I think in, in, in the north, certainly in Sheffield, when I've been to pubs like Shakespeare's and all that stuff, you know, it's it's just and Calum Island and everything around anything around there, um, the, the quality is just really much higher. Oh um, yeah. The local breweries and people look after it. They're proud of it. It's not just on because it's a on. You know, um, it's just great. You know, it's a completely different scene. Yeah, totally. I mean, you can tell when you see a you know a good a good seller. Um, you know, obviously from a bad one. <laughs> As I said before, um, we started recording. I was in Northumberland on holiday last week. And um, we were in a, a castle 
can't remember where it was, M- making the most of our English Heritage membership. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've reached that age. But um, yeah, I went into in this castle, there was the beer cellar, and I just thought, bloody hell, this is like better than a lot of beer cellars I've seen. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, it makes me sad that some people yeah. just don't give a shit. Yeah. Or, the, or, or, yeah. or uh, well, one, one extreme, they don't give a shit. But on the other end, it's just that they might not be trained or know anything about it. Mm. And um, if you, you know, when you go into a pub, and I mean, I went into one a couple of months ago in the Peak District. Um, you know, I've sold beer into this pub before and, and I asked for uh, um, a pint, or I won't, I won't mention the brewery, but it's a, a well-known beer from Sheffield that I'd not had for a long time. I thought, oh, I'll give it a whirl again. And the minute she pulled it, I was like, I can tell that's gonna be off. There's no head and it just looked yeah. murky. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, can I swap that? That's, that's, that's the mm-hmm. end of the barrel. She's like, oh, I've been selling it all day and no one's complaining. Just, mm-hmm. And it was all day, it was only like, one o'clock. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh dear, you know. Just following on then from talking about beer trends, what what are some of the trends you're seeing in beer right now at the moment, apart from Canon, which we discussed? Yeah. And which, which do you think are the best trends we're seeing and which are some of the worst trends? So kind of linked to what we were saying, I'm seeing like a resurgence in like in classic styles, um, certainly lagers, um, like things like Teganisa, you know, things like that. Like yeah. they, they fly out the door in the shops. It hasn't always been the case. And I think a few years ago it was much more IPA centric than it is now. Mm. And we're talking about like the, the, the niche kind yeah. of top tier beer buyers, you know, geeky guys. Um, and certainly people are different kind of people are drinking lager now to in the past. Um, also Saison, Sours, things like that, you know, that, that's taken a while to kind of build, but I, I have seen it building every year. Um, and and cask as well. I can see that coming back in in quite a big way in in shops like this. Um, but yeah, generally kind of kind of classical styles. Because I feel like the IPA bubble isn't bursting, but it's just maybe plateauing yeah. a little bit. And you can see with like the, the brute IPA, you know, that <laughs> it was massive for about two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. and now you can't see one for love nor money. You know, it's just not it hasn't really been great. So I feel like there's, there's a move away from maybe fads, for want of a better mm. word than that, and more kind of like constant classical, high quality beer styles. And sometimes that means looking back to old breweries like Technics to, um, to do that. Mm. I agree, I agree with you completely. Yeah. I think like, you're seeing a lot of lagers now, and different styles of lagers. Mm. And I think people are looking, I also think there's been a, a you know, a maturing of the microbrewery industry, yep. mm. and so people have gone through different phases, at, but kind of all around the same kind of time, and they want to do really funky, weird stuff that they can take to festivals and stuff, and will kind of drive some interest and is really good for social media and talking points and stuff like that. But they also now um, a lot of breweries seem to me be kind of sorting out their ranges a little bit and making sure they have a beer for each drink of yeah. each occasion a little bit more, which then means they do you naturally do go back to, as Tim just said, the classical kind of definitions and different parts of a, a drink mm. may want. So lagers are becoming good, you know, um, I know the guys at St. Hostel, they produce their lager and it's, you know, it's become a huge part of their business. Um, you know, and if you said that 10 years ago, you, everyone would probably disagree with you, but it's, the, the classical styles are definitely, but I do think it links with microbreweries who, started maybe say 10 15 years ago like when we started our business or newer have then been going along the the path of 
doing re some really funky stuff. And they still do that, mm. but they're also developing their kind of core range more because they've built up over time enough drinkers who want their core ranges. So it's not continually changing each week, but it's yep. developing the core range. So I think that's reflected in what we in what we are being offered by breweries to stock. Um, it makes it, it's really, the quality of beer is getting better as well. Yeah. Definitely is getting better as mm. people understand you know, the ins and out of all of that as well. So, yeah. I mean, as a retailer, how do you discover new beers and breweries? And, and how do you discern above the noise of social media, particularly the beer heads, what's actually gonna sell well? Um, it's a continuous struggle and an ongoing debate within the business, definitely, <laughs> because at heart, um, we all really like good beer, and we, we all like good booze, hence the liquid delicatessen. And we, um, we, I mean, this is, Tim gets to decide what gets stocked, and then he gives um, each of the store managers the ability to stock stuff that they want, and it's mm. kind of all agreed and what will go. We, you kind of co continuously, and it's, it's part of, I, th I would hope it's part of our company DNA, I'd probably be the last to know if it's not, but we want, we, you have to look at things commercially as well as kind of with your, your heart yeah. and your head and but we do let our hearts rule our head some of the time mm. but not all of the time mm. and that's where mm. I think it's really important to have the balance between we might get something in and we kind of go crikey who knows but this is just such a bloody good beer that mm. if we don't stock this we're in the wrong mm. business kind of thing I mean, often it is a bit of a gamble um, mm. more so than buying other things like spirits and wine or whatever you might have tried before you've just got to kind of go on how much you trust that brewery? How much do you love that brewery? Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of noise on, on Twitter and stuff. We try not to get too wrapped up in that because then you'd end up just buying everything and <laughs> having no yeah. room to, to, to display it. Um, but I mean, having the taps and stuff, going to beer festivals, just generally tasting stuff all the time, which we do in the shops, um, it, it really helps like yeah. build up a, a love for certain breweries and yeah, mm. and, yeah. So what, what are some of the reasons you think certain beers sell better than others in a place like this? Um, quality, obviously, number one. Number two, I'd say actually staff involvement. So mm. if the staff have bought, if yeah. they've picked the beer and they right. love the beer, mm. they're going to promote the heck out yeah. of it. So it's beer. just like <laughs> salesmanship, isn't it? It yeah. is, you've got, it you've is. You've got to be invested in it. Like yeah. if, I, if I buy something, put it on the shelf, I feel invested in it and I feel a responsibility mm. to, to kind of sell it yeah. <laughs> on yeah. a very basic level. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also if I think something's just something awesome, I will tell everyone about it. Mm. And, yeah. and I think customers can see that, that yeah. what's natural enthusiasm. Yeah, I, not, I, in that, I completely agree with that. It's natural enthusiasm. You can't fake it. You can't. And we're selling it like an experiential thing, but you can't make that up. You've got to mm. be passionate about yeah. what you're selling. So, you know, it's um, what I really like, especially about this shop here, which is our third shop, is that, you know, it's on, on license and off license. We have um, tables through here. I think it looks relatively modern and nice environment to be in. And we can have people come in who want to just buy some beer or wine or spirits to, to take away and we can give them a little sample and taster and stuff or we can have people who come in for a little session and want to have a catch up with a mate and sit down or a group of people and then what we're able to do is then kind of like just keep bringing them beers or wine that we think will float their boat and work mm. for what they're looking for and engage and talk about what they're wanting to experience and try and then we can kind of go through our library of product and pick the right things and you know everything the great thing about 
dealing with um, great producers is everyone has a story, an individual yeah. story, and with that, yeah. we, and our jobs are to communicate their story to our customers so that we expand that that brewers or that vineyards reach to the public. Mm. And do you think that makes a difference? Um, how successful a brewery or a vineyard is so those have got a compelling story and those that have kind of got into because it's like oh you know I got into it and because I, I do meet people sometimes I'm like what are you about and they're like well you know we just want to make beer with the finest ingredients I'm like everyone wants to make beer with the finest ingredients what's, what's the thing that makes but you it's unique it's interesting because when you kind of talk about doing branding for stuff 10 or 15 years ago you, you'd, you'd immediately check on the cues of quality and the finest ingredients and stuff along that yeah. Now that is just. I'm sorry. That's expected. That's taken as red. That is yeah, taken exactly. as red. It's and if fact, you start yeah. talking about that, you're actually missing the trick. I think. Mm. It's, yeah. It's like when the restaurant feels a need yeah. to state we're fully licensed. Yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Warning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very true. But yeah, I mean, things have changed. It, it's it's more about authenticity. It sounds awful, hackneyed, cliche phrase to use, but I think it all boils down to that, mm. and that comes over in the branding. And then ultimately in the beer itself, yep. you know, it's, are you scrimping on ingredients? Are you, you know, scrimping on time? You know, that will come across when you taste the beer. Um, and and yeah. we, you know, I think there's about nearly 30 of us in the business now across the retail stuff and the office um, and the kind of wholesale side of the business. And we, you know, there's a lot of people, we go out to as many beer festivals as we can. We also, on the kind of supermarket side of things, we audit breweries so any brewer we're looking at or want to bring along the line even if we haven't got them into somewhere we'll go along and audit their brewery mm. in a friendly manner yeah um so to help raise standards to help bring people along so that we can have them for later down the line and through and we do loads of brewery visits and through doing that you are able to and look me i'm in a t-shirt and shorts and it's like how i like to roll i'm Occasionally, have to get suited and booted, but it's not something I like to do. And sunglasses. And sunglasses always, rain. even torrential rain. It's just part of my DNA. I can't get away from it. <laughs> but we roll. We go out to a lot of breweries. So, as far as understanding people's stories and what they do, you know, I know why so and so's story is this because I've been to their brewery ten times, mm. and you know, I've gone out with them and had a few too many beers occasionally, and you know, know their kids' names. You kind of like you. It's, it's we are part of a community. And that's kind of what we are trying to do. We want to be part mm. of the community. Wherever we open a shop, we are trying to put ourselves straight into the community and kind of spread the word of just of good booze, yeah, good right. beer predominantly. Big time. That's, that's why we do events and stuff. Yeah, we it, do so a lot of events. And that's... To reach out. So for us, I don't think it's like you don't have to kind of... We, we're not looking to kind of learn what someone's... What their kind of trademark branding story is. It's more... You get under the surface, you understand what they are, you can yeah. talk about it, yeah. and that's really the passion of, mm. and the community of what, what of driving the whole business forward, really. I, I feel like the individual stories of breweries, if there are any stories, get kind of lost in the noise of new releases and just the everything all the time. And mm. I feel that it's just, our consumers are just, they're just not fussed. If I was to start talking about you know the, the history of a certain brewery. They're probably just like, just just let me taste the bloody beer, you know. <laughs> and like that might have been different back in the day. Yeah. You know, when we opened, it up definitely, definitely was. It was, it was like, all about oh, talking really? about the story. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a husband and wife team, or you know, yeah. they did this yeah. first. But I just don't think anyone would be interested. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah And if you put it on the back of a can, it's like really. Yeah. Do you think people are getting 
beer fatigue with a lot of new releases? I personally am to an extent. Yeah. I mean, I think I love it when breweries don't release that much, but what they do release is really on point. Yeah. Like that's the ideal thing. Like obviously don't have to have a core range, but just a steady flow of well executed releases is the ideal scenario in my book. Like there's certain breweries, I'm not naming any names at all. Um, great breweries actually, but they just do too much. And it kind of like, you'll, you'll, they'll release so many beers that their own beers are competing against, against their own beers. Mm. So it's like if there's only released like two, two weeks apart or whatever in similar styles. And I just think that just create, that kind of devalues everything a little I, bit. Yeah, I do. And then kind of from the business side also, if you're just continuously releasing new releases, it's, you're changing your hops, you're changing your grist, you're changing lots of different things. You're not able to build your economies of scale. And I think when, as the industry is going to probably go through a contraction, people who are slightly more focused in what they release when will help, will um, benefit. And I do, I do think that we're obviously right at the sharp end. So we see every, we see it, I'd suggest 95% of all releases in the UK, we kind of know about and are getting mm. on board of. There's always stuff you miss. Um, so we do get saturated, definitely. Like, we've yep. seen this, we've seen this. Mm. Like, bloody hell, we only did 20 last week. How's another 10, 15, 20 to do this week? But but for the, our consumers, it, it, there is quite a bit of change. But we do, you know, the consumer, for any brewers listening, the consumers do come in and they do consistently buy brands they like and beer styles they like. Mm, so mm. the core range should not be lost and people do do that. And I think Tim's got it exactly right. It's like, if people could be slightly more focused, it really, I think they'd but see better. The flip side of that, I think, you know, innovation and collaborations are a beautiful thing. Oh, well. yeah. yeah. You know, like, like I, I mean, there's been some absolutely that. amazing ones in the last couple of years. And, really good. you know, there's so many UK breweries are now working with the top tier of American breweries oh, it's, it's, fantastic, it's great it? to see yeah. you know and that hasn't always been the case I feel like it's only happened in the last couple of years like the likes of you know Thinback Barrier and other half you've seen them on like normalised yeah. cans all the time it's definitely great. And, to ch- and they definitely are imparting a lot of their knowledge I feel and the consistency of their beers has has grown yeah and well. I'd, I'd actually say that when I first opened the first shop you, we kind of quite quickly then put like a North American section in mm. and all of those beers were just phenomenally good and frankly a lot better than a lot of the British beers. I'd say now there's hands down I'll argue with anyone to the death on this the British beers are as good if not better than the American beers and it's why I believe like we have an American section but it's a lot smaller because there's just people aren't interested now yep. and our beers are as good so I think these collaborations with brewers in the states and the brewers here is absolutely brilliant and I definitely think mm. we have kind of got back on top of where we should be as a country of really you know leading the beer market mm. the quality has increased like yeah like, there's no doubt about yeah, that like, exponentially down. it's just you know freshness is a massive thing as well like if we were to be able to taste the cream of the crop of the American beers when they're fresh and take put them against you know the cream of the crop here that would be a wonderful thing but you know, yeah interesting <laughs> interesting to see mm. I still think we've got a little bit of a way to go personally but um, oh, we're, I think we're getting there, there. I think we're yeah, getting there absolutely so coming on to supermarkets and pricing and stuff like in, in light of one supermarket in particular driving uh, 
prices of pre- premium craft beer down with special exclusive collabs, not to mention any names. Um, how does a business like this manage to compete for the average customer? The kind of person that doesn't know about these collabs we're talking about or these breweries or whatever. Yeah, and like, just to be clear, that is probably like 80 to 90% of our customers is people who aren't, you know, 100% switched mm. on about things. Um, it's like having taps is a huge thing. Having a yep. tap room, yep. having a space where you know people are encouraged to try new things, and you can offer samples of things that people very quickly. Um, I'd like to think appreciate the quality and the difference of the beers that we sell to the beers that supermarkets sell. Yep. Obviously, there is crossover, and there are good breweries in supermarkets now, but we differentiate by stocky mirrors, well firstly that aren't in the supermarkets and so going a, a little bit kind of niche and having tap rooms, you know. Supermarkets oh, are never going to have a, a tap room, um, well they might do but I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd imagine some but supermarkets will put some growler stations in. in the yeah, well, it's always like half a waitrose yeah. and a refill yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, which is which is interesting, I think, I think it's a force for good on the whole. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's also about geographical proximity, like if you're closer to us than someone else, you're going to come to us even at the supermarket. Yeah. And we are, I think, reasonably priced as well, so we're not trying yeah, We to have some wacky it. stuff that's really expensive, we'll have some cheaper stuff. But it's expensive products. Yeah, it's it's not, expensive product, which is it yeah. should be. Mm. We don't, we have stuff that, we have some stuff that's in supermarkets, we obviously can't compete with the supermarket on price. Um, because we, you know, um, we're not buying eighty pallets of something. We're buying one pallet or something. Yeah. So it's it's just simple economics. However, you know, we have a good blend of a little bit of stuff that's in supermarkets. So, for instance, as Tim said, eighty ninety percent of our customers who come in can spot a couple brands that they can differentiate and have yeah. seen in other places and might have already mm. tried. So it allows us to kind of have a starting point for someone on hopefully what we'd like to say on our journey with us and what we can then get them to try and. Ela- you know, mm. elaborate on what the beer industry is at the moment, um, and then we have beers that you just can't. You'll never be able to get in a supermarket. You just yeah. won't ever be able to get them in the yeah. supermarket. But, but we don't rely on that. It's because so yeah, it's no. constantly changing, it's constant, and we're, we're having yeah. to work to to create our our continually changing point of difference. Yeah, basically, absolutely. But also, the most important thing is is staff. I think you know, it's the humans behind it. Mm. Like you have the best products in the world, but no one's going to come in if you got robots behind yeah. the bar. You know, it's about people. That's what I believe. Um, like often we get people coming in looking at the wines. People are knowledgeable about wine. Like, well, where do I start? I don't know any of these things at all. So that's where people come in. Yeah, and, and kind so of making it accessible. Well, it's like when I arrived and I noticed a sign outside that said "natural wine." I don't really yeah. know anything about wine. Um, I do like wine, but I'm just I've never brewed it. I'm not never yeah. been that interested in it. So I, I was like, well, what, what is it? And, you know, and you sat down and explained it, and I was like, oh, I'm. I'm really quite intrigued on trying that, you know. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, you know, you won't get that in a, in a supermarket. And, you know, why would you? Because yeah. they don't serve mm. that function, yeah. do they? It's a different business. Yeah. yeah. So in, in 2007, you entered a partnership with Marks and Spencers to source and supply beers for them and, and help them brand their own range of beers. How did that come about? Uh, well, as I alluded to at the very beginning, I had my shop um, in East Twickenham, which we still have, and um, I randomly got a call out of the blue by a gentleman to say, um, been looking for someone to s- help us stock, supply, sorry, bottle conditioned beers set up on it, and we want to buy them from all different regions in the UK, and you seem to be the only person who 
has a website and a shop who's actually doing exactly what we want to do. Could I come down and see you? And I said, and a van with a map. I said, yeah, I said, that's absolutely fine. So going back to my whole suited and booted, before, you know, he, the next week he was coming down, I immediately, you know, threw on a suit and a tie and stuff like that. Made the shop look really good. And the sh- our shop in Twickenham is not very big at all. And um, we, this guy turned up at the door and he was dripping in sweat, in shorts and a t-shirt and, and knocking on the door, completely out of breath. I was kind of like, oh my God, okay. Well, I'll serve this guy. We're not open, but I've got the lights on because this guy's coming. I want to make a good impression. He kind of opens the door. He goes, hi, Nick. My name's James. I'm from Oxford Spencer's. How are you doing? He's like, and this is before Google Maps were like really a thing. And he's like, I went on to Google and I looked at the map and it looked like you're really close. And I've just ridden from East London across and it was like not good weather yeah and he'd like had a really long run and because um the shop we have a flat above the shop and i was living above the shop i was like james look i don't want to be forward here but you don't look great there's a shower upstairs with clean towels why don't you go up and have a shower calm down i'll make you a cup of tea come downstairs have a cup of tea and then we'll start drinking some beers and i'll talk you around the shop well did all of that and about six hours late I mean I talked around the shop I mean our shop is not big and I do not know how I spent five and a half hours talking to the guy but I did Mm. and at the end of it he said okay so you're going to supply us that's it I've done my job would you be able to supply Marks and Spencer's with bottle conditioned beer you know and basically you've got to understand that I've just opened a shop that's (laughs) all I really know about beer and I like drinking beer and I kind of starting to know about breweries I did not know anything else and I just said yes I can do that and then figure it out and it's figure been a journey, yeah. journey from there. M&S have been extremely good to us in that um, we, we um, were the first company to start with them at the time on what they, a new agreement they had which is called a small supplier agreement and the buyer at the time, um, Peter Hayward, he, um, he literally would sit down with me with the agreement with a red and black pen and he'd go through, and it was like a long agreement, a long agreement, quite daunting, frankly. And he'd sat down and go, can you do this? And I'd be like, I cannot commit to do that. He'd like to put a line through it, okay. So it's just like trying to understand what size of business we were mm. and what we'd be able to financially commit to and not commit to and what risks were if we were launching four beers with a national supermarket and if they want to do returns and force us to return stuff. And it's so it was a very collaborative, process which was really good and we've really grown under their umbrella mm. and MS have been extremely supportive to us to help Amazing. us grow which has been really really good and you know as I said we've gone from four beers that we started to over 230 beers at different times um, and uh, yeah it's been a, a you know we've gone on to different agreements since then because we've grown as a business and we can rightly take on more responsibility for the products we do and now we obviously bear a lot of risk you know that's mm. just how, but then we have to have the right processes yeah i'm in place but it's been a um a, a fun and enjoyable journey with Marks and Spencer's yeah. and they've been very good to work with so for any brewers out there listen to this who, who are quite ambitious and have got big plans to to grow their brand and their business and their brewery um and, and want to get into the whole supermarket game like what what advice from the things that you've learned would, would you give people um, it can take a while. Um, you have to deal with supermarket buyers. I mean, I'd obviously say we look. We act as an agent, so right. I would say it's good to use an agent potentially. If depending on the size of brewery you are, mm. if you are 
smallish, actually having an agent could be really good for you in that it kind of can release you from having to do that and an agent can drive forward and has the contacts to get you into multiple supermarkets yep. to to have frank conversations with you about where pricing is because be under no illusion the supermarket decides where that's going to be it's you know unless you have got a really exciting brand that they really want you're not going to be able to kind of change their pricing formats too much so you have to make a you know a decision on do you have the economic scale can you hit the right price points can, are you efficient in your packaging and all that type of stuff? Um, whether you use an agent or not, if you kind of take, park that to the side for a second, it's to make sure you don't run before you can walk. Mm. It's to make sure that you understand dealing with supermarket buyers that they're not just going to list you nationally straight away. You're going to have to prove yourself in a local level, a regional level, and then probably like half the country and then maybe the full country. Um, unless you hit a supermarket that might be doing something where they kind of are fostering new brands which a couple are doing at the moment where they'll take a brand in and put them into 200 stores and trying to build the kind of frankly build a bit of a relationship like um, we had with Marks and Spencers yeah. um, so there are people doing different things I think number one is just make sure your product quality is good make sure you feel like you can su supply it really consistently and know that you're playing the long game because being in a supermarket or being in the off trade frankly grows your grows your brand hugely but you can't grow it at a detriment of like losing money or not making enough margin you've got to be sensible sensible about it and don't kind of you know there's many many stories i've heard and know of breweries which will remain nameless who get a major listing with a really big supermarket and they go from kind of famine to feast they think they're riding it all and then the buyer calls them up and says well i can see how much you're turning over on companies house basically and I can see what size of business you are and what we are. I need you to lower your price by X amount. And it basically will make people go, they can't do it. They, they'll go bust, they'll go out of the, and I know supermarkets are not meant to do that, but mm. you know that still can happen a little bit. Yeah. Um, it doesn't happen as much now, I would say, but it's just be about being positioned correctly and making sure you're ready to grow and can grow at the right pace. And quality, quality, quality yeah. because you only have one bite at the cherry and you're only as good as the last bottle someone's drunk yep and so if the if a supermarket has a lot of returns you have a problem so you know we we internally um have a technical department um with a master brewer in there and some really qualified people um and we are continuously there helping breweries make sure the quality is really good i mean mm. people know what they're doing but it's getting to a point where your best practice is different to running a business you know and making because i know what it's like you know crikey you're running around with your head cut off you're trying to do everything it's just like <laughs> oh, yeah. you know and and sometimes you're kind of like well i can do this for now this might not be best practice but i just we, i know i'm going to get it done i'm going to be fine da, 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 da. but as you grow changing businesses and making them work mm. in the same way it needs to change and with supermarkets you just have a risk yeah as long as you plan it correctly, mm. I think it can actually be a very good environment to operate in and can specifically grow people's brand hugely, where then you can really make, you know, really make your real turn on um, the on-trade. And I mean, you have to recognize as well that off-trade is over 50% of the market now. Yeah. You know, a couple of years ago, it flipped over the, the kind of 50-50. And so you, you've got to play in the arena. Mm. And then obviously, people who are doing um you know people get into export and stuff as well it's all small pack so you know you need the same 
quality assurances for export as you do for the supermarket. Yeah. So what sort of things as a retailer or an agent are you looking out for when you're taking on products to serve over either your bars or like your shelves or to go into a supermarket? Are there, do you have like clear criteria? We're quite organic, I think, when you say Tim. Yeah, I mean, with the shops, it's just simply a case of do we like it, really? Yeah, like, have, have yeah. we had a good experience with that producer before, um, that brewery before? Um, it's, it's quite kind of simple and a lot really. of the stuff we do for supermarkets actually comes through the relationships we have with our shops right mm. so because we you know we might be buying from three or four or five hundred different brewers around the UK and internationally it's a good network so we kind of you know we have we're, we're very lucky as a business in that we you know do a run at the coal face and retail ourselves so when we're dealing with the agency side of the business and dealing with supermarkets, we can say what's been happening at our coalface and this is a really good beer and it's sold really well for us and da 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 and you mm. know, we, we have already the natural story and the, and the figures to back yeah. up where it is. And it's just, as Tim said, it's, at the end of the day, we just really like yeah. good booze. I mean, so there's certain things I like to do, like I don't like to stop what everyone else stops. I'm sure everyone says the same thing, but like in terms of like just just having a very very London focused beer range, I I like to see variation. Yeah, and I think like definitely. We, we maintain that ethos. Yeah. Ever since yeah. Nick started, so we've got lots of beers from Bristol, from a bit from up north as well, um, but it's definitely not just London. Yeah. But it's mostly UK. So suppose yeah. in a new brewery opening Peckham or Ellsfield or even further field like Barnsley or wherever. Yeah. Don't mind laughing when I say Barnsley. Yeah. Uh, it's probably went to college there and I know what it's like. Um, but but they're like they're keen as mustard to get their beers into a shop like yours. Like what what advice would you give to new breweries when they're looking to either enter the market or establish themselves in a new area like London? Good question. I mean, for us, it's to get into our shops is simply bringing some samples in, arranging a meeting and bringing some samples in. I've got to be really honest with you, we're quite brutal yeah. when we try beer with people and we will be quite frank and straightforward because we do get quite a bit of bad beer still. Yeah. So like over-conditioned or infected and we, we have so much beer as well, it's hard to keep on top of all yeah. the samples. Yeah, it is. It is. So I'd, I'd suggest um, shoe leather really helps to break into a market. I, I think um, there are obviously a lot of bottle shops now. You know, if, for instance, if you say, to, say London, how do you break the market? There's a lot of bottle shops. I think getting into bottle shops is a really good way. Um, yeah. To then break into a supermarket or something like that, you need to kind of show that you've got a decent red sale in other yeah. retailers that you operate in. Um, I think obviously, which people do really well nowadays, um, the kind of social media aspect really helps because if a, from a supermarket, if a buyer's kind of pops in your brewery name, you want to see quite a lot of news and happenings and mm. good stories. But f for us, I mean, we can only really speak for ourselves. It's about getting in front of us, which we happily will mm. will see people, um, and then just having good quality product um, and being in the right price bracket and being realistic. Yeah. And also having, I suppose, sorted out your logistics of actually how you're going to supply. Mm. We'll get quite mm. a few people who come in and kind of go, can I get you in? It's like, yeah, that's fine. But we don't necessarily want to buy a pallet of your beer. You know, that's mm. not what our operation mm. is. Um, so we want to be able to buy, you know, 10 or 20 cases. So do you have a London distributor who can, you know, is going to hold your stock and can 
Yeah, I mean, rather than having it all stockpiled in your cellar or yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what we used to do, and we've kind of moved more and more away from that as business got older. And that now there's companies like eBria and stuff right. that allow you to buy yeah. you know, much smaller quantities, but still direct from the brewery, kind of. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just simple stuff, really. I think send, sending an email introducing and you know getting on the radar, getting the good untapped ratings and uh, Instagram movement. I mean, that just happens from producing good beer anyway. That's there, all the things we, we look to when we're, we're sourcing new stuff, you know, what kind of reputation. And know, we, we I mean, we get emails and calls and you it's, know, it's all the time over what there's a new Barnsley or something. Yeah. We we are completely kind of we don't care where someone is, it's, if it's good, yeah, 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 we will look at it, and if we like it, we'll but buy there's it. There's so much in London, it's easy just to get enmeshed. In it would, that, it, it would be, and I, but I think that's to, the whole point about yeah. how you said about we're trying to keep the original philosophy of like having a regional mm. outlook to keep our yeah. net wider than just where we are. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm aware of a lot of good breweries up north, you know, Abbeydale, a great brewery, yeah. yeah, kind of traditional stuff and more modern stuff as well. Um, a lot of it's, it's kind of good, good cast stuff up there and it's kind of linked a little bit to what Nick was saying about having to buy volumes and stuff so sometimes maybe we disregard that but I think we, we should do that less. Mm. So how can a business such as yours keep it fresh? No pun intended. Well, maybe there is a bit of a pun intended in there. <laughs> um, like af- after so much time, after, it's 14 years this year, isn't it? Yeah. yeah like so how, how do you keep it fresh? So, so, okay, well, to talk fresh on a couple of different levels. The first the shop had no fridges and was all wooden shelves, uh, no air conditioning. We put air conditioning in and then we were like, well, that just freezes us, but doesn't actually really get the beer cold. <laughs> so then we decided to start putting, we got like one or two fridges and then it was like, just one day we're just like, I think it was, you know, was it? I can't remember who it was. We just said, we just can fridge the whole bloody thing. So that's what we basically end up doing, bar the red wine. It's the most recent know, major refill, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and we just fridged the whole thing. It's and like now each of the shops always, it's all about having fridges. So we bought eight fridges. Yeah, for the, for the beer. Went from like two to eight. Yeah. Well, to ten. Yeah, and it's just, it's it's now that we, um, refrigeration is, is important to us. The product quality is better. Um, we also, you know, make sure we try and have an air conditioned environment or an environment that is cool as well when the weather gets really hot. Um, it's a continuous struggle. Um, you know, the reality is all the product we see in has not been refrigerated. Um, unless it's come from the States, it might have come on a, refrig- a reefer across, but usually breweries, um, delivery wagons, if we're getting it direct from a brewery, is not refrigerated yep. or it comes through, you know, pallet company and that's not been refrigerated either. But we as soon as we possibly can we get it refrigerated to pro- prolong life obviously mm-hmm. um not that we're looking to hold on to stuff too long but also frankly and this goes down to the kind of can conversation earlier people want cold product now and they want cold product even if they're not actually drinking it straight away which is kind of crazy mm-hmm. um maybe not the most environmentally friendly thing yeah um so we could actually have ambient and cold but from a sales perspective, people seem to want to be able to have um, cold products a lot. And I think it does actually make, it keeps the beer better, especially with hoppier, high note yeah, beers. Exactly. It completely does it. I mean, we have been um, very, when we started the business, we have got like a, uh, a company beer seller that we every week or every month, um, we've got one person in the business is meant to pull up, go around the shops and pull off some real nuggets that we just have in there. We just write off to, the company beer seller and that's been growing and growing and growing um, and we try and keep that 
at around 12 degrees if we can we've got a storage mm. unit where we keep it and, mm. yeah we're due to try a couple because we've got some really old stuff in there that would be quite fun and interesting to try but it's i think um we went from being complete kind of ambient with no chilling at all to now we chill as much as we possibly can yeah. um, and i think the beer is better for it and obviously wine's better for it yeah um, and it, mm, it, it's stable temperature yeah, yeah. and, and the it, consumers getting more clued on about you know cold chain yeah. and everything yeah. and you know we're, we're in process hopefully doing a, a refit in Twicker and one thing I'd like to do is is have like a, a, a five degrees kind of chiller um, cellar sorry area so just keep the beer in like the best possible nick because that seems to be the, the way forward certainly for hoppier styles mm. but in terms of the, the flip side of the freshness rather than literally maybe keeping things you know fresh in terms of a customer's perspective I think that's what you're also asking yeah, as well yeah. <laughs> um, it's, well I mean we import yeah. stuff from the States okay so we import stuff from the States from, from Arts and Spencers and we have got it down to a five week from brew to on shelf uh, which is the quickest mm. we've ever had it and that was just recently but it, that's logistically quite difficult um, for our shops we're not buying direct from a brewer in the States that gets a lot longer if you're coming from say North America yep. or around anywhere else around the world and that is where cold chain really really is important so you kind of you know when we're buying from wholesalers we do like to know if the stuff coming out of the container was actually in a reefer was refrigerated mm. you know, and was it top deck or was it actually down in the hole below sea level where yeah. it'd be a bit cooler and stuff as well um, so oh, that's really getting into the detail. Yeah, it's, that's a bit geeky, isn't it? I know that. But, <laughs> I love it. But but um, <laughs> but but you know, it, it makes a difference. Mm. It really does make. I mean, you know, back in the early days, you get some. I'll try to remain nameless. Some beers coming over from the states, you know, and I go to the states quite regularly, especially to the west coast. And I've drunk a lot of beer out there, and you have a certain beer that's a very big brand that used to be considered very hoppy, and it's probably not that hoppy now, but just because hop has Hot, people's hot palate has changed but it doesn't it doesn't taste at all like it does in San Francisco to here it yeah. just doesn't mm. taste all West Coast unrecognisable it's completely almost. unrecognisable yeah. it becomes a malty beer rather than a hoppy beer when yeah. it comes out here wine. so it's all it's lost the notes you've just got that kind Stocktail. of candy apple yeah <laughs> it's 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 interesting so yeah the more refrigeration the better in my mind mm. um, balanced with the environmental yeah. aspects of it but yeah that's mm. definitely Important, amazing, brilliant. Well, so what's next for BLL Limited? We've we've just recently opened this shop in Nodding Hill. Um, so on the retail side, it is to um, kind of just kind of keep things moving and kind of build our customer base. It, or, you know, you start a sh shop from scratch; it takes a while to get everything. It's going really, really well. Mm. Um, and both our Twickenham and Maida Vale shops are kind of going very well at the moment. You want to keep fine tuning and improving. Yep. You know, you never yep. stay still. No. And the things are always changing. So we're going to be offering a little uh, kind of a food offering in this sh in this shop has started. Um, just kind of snacks, you know, pork yep. pies, um, scotch eggs. Cheese and cartouche yeah, as well. Yeah, cheese and cartouche. So it's just easy kind of simple stuff. Um, we'd like to open more shops in the future, but it's not going to happen in the next kind of couple of months. We're not looking at a location just at this moment in time. Um, there's been a bit of consolidation for other people in bottle shops as well and there's a couple of people opening up we feel quite comfortable where we are at the moment with three stores um, and on for the kind of uh, wholesale side of the business supermarkets and stuff we are 
still doing a lot of stuff with Marks and Spencers and looking um, potentially to expand into uh, we're already expanding into some other supermarkets designed to supply them what we're actually doing is um, we've got a number of breweries now that we are acting as agents for that are not in not going necessarily into M&S but into other supermarkets and into export as well so yep. we're kind of just building up our um, our stable of people that we work with it's basically people who are looking for some expertise and some help and you know we we have a very simple model in that you don't charge people a fee or anything like that it's just basically a percentage on a case that gets sold mm. so we have to do the work to ensure you sell the beer yeah and we agree targets and we just go after selling the beer for them Brilliant. so yeah great Simple. well thanks for being on the show today i've i've i've, I've loved sitting in here it's, it's kind of like around the dinner table in a conservatory <laughs> so yeah. it's, um, it's the vibe we're going for yeah it's, it's quite kind of laid back and inviting it's amazing so um yeah so how, how can people find out more about what you do and connect with you we have a website obviously realale.com um, and you can follow our Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all of those kind of yeah. things yeah we're over in West London yeah the nearest station through St Margaret's to Twickenham yep um, Labrick Grove for Notting Hill and Warwick Avenue or Paddington for Maida Bell yeah awesome brilliant thank you very much yeah. thank you very much thank you thanks for tuning in to the Hot 4 podcast this week don't forget we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hey,